0: Welcome to episode 1020 of The Sleeper in the Bus. I am Justin Mason, joined as always on Sundays by Jason Collette. Jason, how you doing? I'm doing well. Much better
1: than this awful weather outside. This sucks. So perfect day to do podcasting because there's nothing else to do outside. It is an inside day when it's 42 and raining. Just yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I can't really complain. It's, you know, 9 o'clock in the morning right now, and I'm in a t-shirt in my office. So uh, 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 California is treating me pretty good right now. Uh, you know who else is treating us pretty good? Jenny Butler of Rotoballer is here. Jenny, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. This is very exciting. I am I think I've made the big time.
0: You, you've made it, right?
2: <laughs> I guess so.
0: <laughs> Jenny, uh... Remind everybody where you can reach on social media, and then talk a little bit about yourself because you've just entered the industry. You were a big time NFBC player, kicking everybody's ass, right? Uh, and now you are uh, you are joining the industry with your first article coming out soon.
2: Yeah. So on Twitter, I am at Jenny Butler eight three zero. And then I started writing a little bit in this off season. Um, Vlad Sedler asked me to help with the. Um, FTN five tool fantasy draft guide and I did that I wrote an article on roster construction which I think went pretty well for my first you know try at writing um so I got I uh, was contacted after that by both uh Fantracks and rotoballer so I'm going to put together a little bit of content for them this season I think uh the first article that I've put uh submitted to rotoballer that's not out yet is um and best ball strategy so hopefully we can talk about that a little bit later
0: I think we absolutely should because uh, we are going to be talking about uh, speed mostly today, but we also have a few questions uh, from Twitter, including a best ball question. So we'll let you take the reins on that one uh, and kind of give your insight. I've done okay in the best balls. I'm not doing any uh, cut lines this year, unfortunately, but um, it's a a really fun format, especially if you don't have the time to necessarily uh, worry about fab every week.
2: I've,
1: yeah, never done definitely. I've, I've, I've never done cut line. I've never done, uh, best ball.
0: Uh, you, don't, like, you don't play. do the rest wrestling. Huh. Oh, okay. No.
2: Cut it- line is great. I started out playing cut line a lot. Um, but there are two fab periods in that and mm-hmm. they can be a decent amount of work because there's one in, uh, like maybe the second week of the season and then one in mm-hmm. June yep. and you really have to sort of, get through all of the ads that you should be making when it's been, you know, two months since anybody's been added. So it can be, and you have to do a ton of conditionals. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it can be definitely some work on those two for those two days, but it's still nice. Best ball format is really nice. You know, having your optimal lineup scored for you every week is really nice. Not to have to think about, you know, which pitchers you want to start and things like that. So I really enjoy it.
0: Yeah, I, I like it a lot too. Um, especially when I've got a million leagues. It's nice to be able to uh not have to do fad for all of them and set lineups for all of them each week. Uh because I had to cut so many leagues this year to win my bet with Rob Silver, which you were pr- you were present I am for when I'm yeah. the
2: official witness to that bet. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's right. You were you were standing right there when we made it, and I'm going to win this bet, Rob. I don't care uh, <laughs> how how many times you tempt me. With more leagues, uh, but uh, yeah, I I had to drop all my basketball leagues in order to make sure I got my more important leagues kind of in. But uh, let's uh, let's talk about uh, a need for speed. Jason, you uh, released an article, uh, I guess this week on Friday, uh, yeah. over at Rotowark talking about it. Why don't you give kind of a rundown of what you went over before we get into the players we're going to discuss, and then I'll put a link to that uh, that article uh, in the show notes. So that way uh, people who are subscribing or want to go subscribe over at uh, Rotowire can uh, find that article.
1: Yeah, it's, by the way, there's like a two week free trial. Yeah, I think it's uh, rotowire.com forward slash try or free. I forget, uh, anyhow, it's free. Uh, there are, and if you check my t- uh, uh, Twitter feed, some of the images that I'm referring to are in there. So if you don't want to subscribe, uh start cheap do it. Uh but if you don't, you can check there. But basically looking over stolen base attempts, uh yeah, you know, the last the last few seasons, you know, it has been something we've often talked about. You know, not everything's linear in baseball, but strikeout rates continue to go up. Uh and the amount of closers where 30 plus saves goes down and, and the amount of wins that are going to starting pitchers is going down. Well so are steals. You know steals uh, have declined quite a bit something like 35% or uh, attempts over the past decade. Um, and but the success rate is going up, so teams are being more judicious and when they're attempting a stolen bases. Uh, and so you know a lot of the talk has been, you know, there's been a lot of talk lately about Miles Straw uh, because Miles Straw is like that guy outside the top 100. Like everybody seems to have an eye on because like okay, I, I ignored speed or I didn't do enough speed. I've got to go get somebody, and like he's the most obvious guy sitting right there outside the top 100, uh, even though the rest of his game is rather really flawed. Uh, but that's, you know, that's where it is. And so I'm trying to look at steals and and use one of my own teams. You know, we were talking about the different teams that we have done and I picked 15th in a league and opened up with pocket aces and then use that as to like, Hey, what happened when I decided to let speed go and didn't take it? Uh, and then my, I believe my third round pick in that league was Lindor and then how I just tried to do that. And then what it forced me to do in the reserves, um, because so much of the steals is concentrated inside that top 100. I have some graphics around it. Just talking about where this, where the pool is. We use the projected steals out there, and I was using roto wires for the basis of this article. You know, over 36% of the projected steals are inside the top 100 by ADP over the past mm-hmm. month, uh, and that's where they tend to live. And then after that, you're looking at like if you get if you're in a deeper league and you get to pick 400, you have 13% of the steals left in the pool. And if you're fighting with another team like that, everybody's fighting for it uh and it's just you know the last piece i would say is just the number of players with 20 steals 10 years ago we had 50 players with that many steals this past season we had 19. we had more we had more players with 20 steals uh in 2019 we had 21 then with 19 it's gone 28 so that growth keeps going <clears throat> that trend keeps going down um and that's even with modesty only playing a month each last two seasons and so he's still doing it right uh, so it's just it's becoming more and more scarce. And if you make the strategic decision to either focus on starting pitching, double tap closers, you know, pocket aces, those types of things. These are the sacrifices you're making and how you're going to have to try to build your team the rest of the way. And so um, I was looking at strategy and did call out a few names of it uh, and showed some of the names I pursued uh, within my own. But again, it's you know 10 is the new 25 is the new 10. That's where the steals are. You just kind of have to build your way through it.
0: Yeah, um, and what I, so what I did for today's rundown is I went to the ATC projections uh, that are over on Fangraphs that uh, Ariel Cohen does, uh, and I sorted by stolen bases, and I pretty much put a list together of every single player that is projected by ATC to steal 20 bases, 16, 16 players are expected to, uh, or projected to steal 20 bases. Um, and only five of them go outside of the top 50, according to ADP. We're going to uh, touch, on, all, touch on, on on them all. But Jenny, when we start with you in terms of what your stolen base strategy is when you head into a draft, do you just make sure you get a, a couple early guys or are you going to spread the risk throughout the draft?
2: Yeah. I wish that I had some like strategy that was not what everybody else is trying to do, but I don't know that there's a way to get around it. So, you know, I'm doing, you know, the same thing, trying to get them early. I don't generally like to wait on the later guys just because they hurt you in so many other categories. So, you know, if you can get, you know, one of those first round guys, that's great. But I do like to come out of the fourth round, fifth round, maybe with, um, a couple of guys that will get me significant steals. And then I also throughout the rest of the draft, try and get those chip and steals wherever I can, you know, the six, eight, 10 stolen base type of guys. But at the same time, you know, that has hurt me in the past because I tend to stay away from the big sluggers. You know, I don't roster the Vlad's and the Pete Alonzo's and guys like that. And I've ended up in some leagues struggling with power. Um, later in the season or later in the draft. So it's definitely a balancing act.
0: Yeah, it's a balancing act that can be very, very difficult to pay off. I'm the same way. I try to get at least two guys in my first five picks uh, that I feel like are going to give me stolen bases. Um, You know, Every once in a while, I end up leaving those first five rounds without enough stolen bases, and I feel like I'm having to take real risk later on. I, I did a draft earlier this offseason, uh, I always do one draft early in the offseason where I go, I'm going to take the best player available through the first five rounds. Um, and I did this in a draft, and I went, man, look at this team through the first six rounds. You know, I had Jack Flaherty as my number three starter. I had, you know, and I went, I have like no stolen bases, like not nearly enough. Um, and then I had, so I had to take shots on Miles Straw and Nicky Lopez and Uh, By the time I, you know, finished the draft, I went. I hate this team. I absolutely (laughs) hate this team, Um, and I feel like I may have just lit my entry fee on fire. So um, I definitely want to try to give myself as many options as I can. And this is something Paul and I discussed in the last episode. Is I don't want to limit my options. I don't want to limit the roads I can go down in a draft. And I feel like if I don't get enough speed early that I'm limiting the, the options I've got later on.
2: Yeah. I think one thing, if I can sidebar slightly into a, you know, John Legaza, you know, counterpoint is I, I feel like I hear so many people saying, you know, when you're talking about catchers or saves or speed or third baseman, you know, I just want to take the best player available. I want to take, you know, I don't want to draft an early catcher because there are other guys, you know, in that same round that are actually better players. And I get all that. But you're at any point during the draft, wherever you decide to take your catcher or your third baseman, probably everybody around them is a better player. It's, it's not any different later than it was earlier. So, mm-hmm. you know, having a, a player that can set you apart in saves or steals or a catcher or a third base can really be helpful. And you are giving up something to do that. You're giving up, you know, an overall slightly worse player at that point in the draft, but you know, the, the difference that you're making compared to what you will be taking later, I think is worth it a lot of the time.
0: Yeah. Jason, what about you? What is your general, uh, stolen base strategy? I know you've got the article, people can go read kind of what you have been doing and what you kind of uh, plan to do, but just give kind of a general overview.
1: Um, I would say the the biggest one just separating it. Let's talk auction first An auction. Um, uh, i have doing whatever I can to avoid having to draft a jackrabbit. Like I don't want to get into this situation where I have to, like I've got AL labor next uh, coming up in six days or five days. And I've got AL talent following that in both cases. Mm -hmm. I'll be very transparent. I don't want to get to the spot where I've got to overpay for miles Straw because there's going to be somebody else in the, in the auction. That's going to have to do the same thing. I am uh, if I got to that point. So I don't want to get into that point. Uh, So, but if you look at the AL player pool uh, and see what's out there, yeah, uh, it, 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 gets, you take away if, if you're not comfortable with the risk of Mondesi and after what happened with me and Tal, which is an OBP league last year where I did take them very hesitant to try to go back there again, but at the right price I would, uh, you know, but you take off those the way it stands right now. You know, that's, I think there's gonna be a lot of us trying to build, um, steals incrementally rather than try to do that. I figured draft like TGFBI and picking out of the one, one spot tomorrow. Um, that's either going to be Turner or Ramirez. Most likely Turner, uh, but I'm, you know, I've got that first pick. I may take the entire four-hour clock as a power trip because I can do that uh, <laughs> and set the tone. Because I know a lot of people are going to be slow playing picks anyhow, waiting for the news, the news to break. And um, you know, fingers crossed, we get something in the next 48 hours and uh, things happen. But in all seriousness, that's you know, those are the only two guys I'm even considering uh, for that for that one-one spot, and that really helps set the tone. So I don't, I can maybe take a chance on uh, a more all power guy. Uh, Whereas uh, because, you know, fingers crossed, Turner could stay healthy or Ramirez can stay healthy. Then I've got that uh, foundation. So um, it really, when I go into it, I always want to build, but if the opportunity comes up early enough, I'll lean towards the guy with more speed than the guy with more power, because I know I can find the power later and I'm always comfortable with my pitching. Uh, So speed projected steals or the skills or where they are in the lineup Tends to be the tiebreaker. We talked a couple of weeks ago, uh, maybe it was even last week uh, when Lauren was on, when we talked about um, Cesar Hernandez. Uh, or maybe I heard her and Bubba talking about it this week. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I, I, the fact that he just kind of stopped running, even though his athleticism and his skills still say he can run, he just hasn't been running. But if he's going to hit in front of Juan Soto, maybe he won't run anymore either because, again, <laughs> If, if you open up first base with Juan Soto at the plate, he's going to end up on first base. We saw a bunch of that last year uh, where, you know, people are like, oh, hey, he had a high walk rate. Yeah, it's because nobody wanted to pitch to him. Uh, and if you give him the opportunity, uh, you give teams the opportunity to pitch around him, that's exactly what they're going to do. Uh, so as somebody who has picked up Cesar Hernandez in all three leagues that I've completed so far, I'm really hoping he gets the leadoff spot. Uh, if I'm tar- But I haven't targeted him for steals in, in this capacity Uh, Because if he's hitting in front of Soto, I don't expect any more steals than he's had the last two seasons, which has been one. Uh, If he can hit leadoff, maybe he's got some more uh, in him.
0: That's it. All right. (laughs) Uh, Please, please, for for the love of God, do not take all four hours on your (laughs) picks in in the first round. Um, And please, please, all of you who may be listening that are in TGFBI, uh, enjoy tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to be fantastic. It's going to be crazy. People are going to be having a blast. Uh, please don't get auto drafted in the first round. Just, just please don't. don't you can set yourself on auto draft. Do not get auto drafted in the first round.
1: One one.
0: So um, awesome. <laughs> there, there is always one person that does it. Uh, and, um, I, I, it's, it's such a headache. Please don't do that. Uh, but if you would like to get into TGFBI, you still can for next season, right? So if you're not in the industry, you can win your way in via TGFBI satellite, go to TGFBI.com. Uh, those are, satellites are hosted over on fan tracks. Uh, so, uh, those of you who can't play on NFBC, uh, for whatever reason, you play in the satellites on fan tracks. Uh, So go to tgfbi.com. Click that button. There is my uh, sh- uh shameless plug right there for the day.
2: I played in the satellite leagues for That's right. two seasons. Yeah. Right? It was good. I ended up finished second once. It was heartbreaking, but uh, yeah, they're, they're good. They're fun.
0: The stories I hear about people, because I mean, for those who don't know, like you win a satellite league, you get in, you finish second, you finish 15th. Yeah. There's no difference. You don't get in. Yeah. You have, you have to come back the next year and, uh, um, the one of the cool things about being on fan tracks uh, it, this year is that uh I because I'm the commissioner of every league I'm in like every league's chat uh, in the chat room on fan tracks and hearing the stories of people like oh I was winning until the last week of the season and then this guy hit a home run or this guy you know got a save uh and I fell out and it's uh it, yeah, it just reminds you I think Uh, anybody who plays poker knows this, but anybody who's been playing fantasy long enough is you remember those awful experiences in which you lost money, lost a league way more than the ones where you went, Hey, I won on the last day. All right. You know, um, I still, in my my 2020 sprint main event losing uh, on, I think it was the second to last at bat of the season. Eugenio Suarez got a hit and um, uh, Dusty Wagner jumped over me and I didn't catch. Uh, so, yeah, it was a $1,300 uh, hit for Eugenio Suarez. What in was that
2: the my year... sprint? In my Sorry. sprint main event, I went uh, from first to fourth in the last week. Yeah. That's only a 10 week season. You can't, you know, it's just everything was still moving so much.
0: Yeah. I I was in, I was in second place going into the last week of that and with a shot to get to first. And I I think the the ultimate difference is I didn't start Robbie Grossman and he stole like three bases in the last week of the season. Um, And then on the last day, I didn't catch. So I forget the
1: year. I forget the year we had to go. We had the, the ones, two extra play in games. And there was somebody got thrown out at home, and I won the league because that runner got thrown out at home. Had he not, had he come in safe, the run, run category would have flipped. I would have lost by half a point. That's
0: crazy. Yeah, I there, there's one I can't remember what year it was, but Mark Mark Gruselonic went five for five on the last day of the season, um, and uh, guy jumped me in in, in batting average, and uh, uh, I, I will never forgive Mark Gruselonic. So you want, to, you want to
1: come tell him you want to come tell him face to face? Greg DeLonics, the manager here, of the Charlotte Knights. Oh, huh. come to town and be like, hey, Gritz, um you If you I ever this-
0: meet him, I will tell him that story. I won't I won't do it in a way where I'm a jerk or anything like that. <laughs> I, I don't want I don't want to get knocked out by Mark Kieselonic, but uh, <laughs> that that would be fun. <laughs> Whenever I come to visit you in Charlotte, we'll, we'll, we'll go to the game. So uh, right. let's let's uh, let's jump in. Um, and so I sorted it kind of by uh, somewhat by ADP. It's not perfectly, but the first one or the high first rounders, right? Trey Turner, Jose Ramirez, Fernando Tatis, they're all in the conversation for the first overall pick in just about every league. Um, Jason, you are picking first overall tomorrow. How do you kind of break it down with these guys?
1: Uh, in the order that you just listed them out, uh, in, in all seriousness, I'm taking Turner tomorrow. It's already on auto pick. Yeah, uh, you know, I don't even reason I considered Ramirez. Uh, it, you know, a couple of things. One, uh, I already have him uh, in two other leagues when I picked third. Um, I do, but then again, I also like to diversify. I, I don't believe I've had Turner anywhere in recent years anywhere, and so it's like, huh? You know, the opportunity to have somebody that can do that. Um, And if he he does get her and the other piece of that is that let's say something happens to Ramirez, I'm not I'm not knocked out of four leagues uh, or or three leagues right away with the same guy. Uh, So I think a few people have taken this approach where they diversify their portfolio in the first third and then Mm -hmm. the back half of it has a a consistent theme. And when I looked at my my current shares, uh, most of my hundred percent shares players are all players that are at the very end game of reserve rounds. I don't have that consistency where I have the same guy in all, uh, in all three uh, leagues in that first third of it. So, I mean, that's where I'm going with Turner, because again, it gives me the chance to do some things um, elsewhere. Now I, I do not want to double tap closers coming out of two, three, uh, probably going to push that down uh, and see where else I can, you know, see what else I can do uh, with that because I don't want to get caught up in, the, in this arms race for closers. It's going to change quickly. Uh, here in short order, but people are doing what they're doing now because we don't know. Um, so uh, hopefully we'll see how that plays out. But for me, it's it's in that order, and I'm going to take it uh,
0: and see what happens. What about you, Jenny? If you've got an early pick this year, who are you going with out of these three?
2: Uh, most likely Turner or Ramirez. I mean, Tatis, uh, he's so hard to figure out. I mean, I am normally somebody who avoids, you know, injury risks. And the fact that he did not get surgery on his shoulder really bothers me. Um, but he's, he's got such upside. I just don't think I can do it in a, in a league where I'm paying a lot of money. Yeah. So we'll see. But, you know, I, there's always the concern that, you know, his shoulder injury, injury might prevent him from stealing as much. But he still stole last year. So I don't know if that's a realistic fear. Um, so if I can get Turner Ramirez, I'm definitely going to do it. If you start getting into you know four, five, six pick, and Tatis is still there, it's going to be really hard to avoid him. I think I, I might have to bite the bullet at some point and just do it.
1: He's one. It, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, both of you. He's one of those who does not steal bases feet first because he like he's very comfortable going head head first. Mm-hmm. Um, I with believe, his, uh, and I. Maybe he's compensated by he's going to go, you know, try to reach out with his right arm, so it's not his left sh- left shoulder uh, doing that. But sometimes, you know, he at the moment you can't make that decision. You're the way the guy's blocking the base if you're going to do a swim move or whatever you're going to do. But I I believe Tatis was one of those guys who was like, yeah. I don't know, I, I don't steal feet first. I just can't do it.
0: Yeah, I, I believe that's correct. Um, and that's, I mean. I, I drafted Tatis in one draft. I think I had the third or fourth pick, and that and that's who, who made it to me. Um, but I just can't imagine being willing to pull the trigger on a league that's really, really important to me, on a high money value league. Um, I know that if he stays healthy for the full season, he is easily the best player in fantasy. Um, and so I think there are going to be people who just say, screw the injury risk. I'm hoping for 40-30 or maybe even greater or something like that. But
1: I can't be that guy. I, with my history of my own shoulder problems, I, can, I just can't. That's why I never even considered mm-hmm. him. Uh, yep. and one, one, I just can't because it'll be my luck that it's, okay, hey, you got tattoos and pop, there it goes.
0: He's, um, I mean, he's especially enticing with the infield-outfield eligibility this year because mm-hmm. you know outfield has some pretty major drop-offs. So to get a guy who can you know play short but also – move out to your outfield for you uh, is super enticing. Uh, multi-position eligibility is super enticing for Trey Turner. I think if it wasn't for the fact that Trey Turner had second base eligibility on top of shortstop, I'd probably be taking Jose Ramirez first overall uh, in just about every draft because third base depth is so gross um, after a while instead of being able to get those kind of stolen bases from your third baseman to start off a draft. I think is really nice. But Trey Turner is my number one guy. That could change. If the Guardians trade Jose Ramirez to a better team, uh, you know, let's say they decide to trade him to a team that needs a third baseman like the Blue Jays, uh, or uh, or you know, I, I can't think of any other team off the top of my head, but uh, I could see myself uh, jumping Jose Ramirez up. But I, I mean, I don't think you can go wrong between Jose Ramirez or Trey Turner. I mean, and probably not going wrong. I mean, even in a season in which he was hurt like four or five times, Tatis still had a monster season. So you probably can't go wrong there. It's just a little bit too risky for the first round for me. Um, Unless I'm around pick eight and he ends up there. I'm in pick eight tomorrow on TGFBI. I do not think he's going to be there. So
1: No. Well, he hasn't been anything over the last month. He's been as low as uh, six is his his, um, max.
0: I think six, I'd really have to think about it. Because, I mean, six, you're saying that Trey Turner's gone. Jose Ramirez is gone. Uh, Garrett Cole is likely gone. Bichette's likely gone. Um, who's probably the other one? Um,
2: Soto, maybe?
0: Maybe Soto. I don't know that I am I would take Soto up that high anyways. I, I mean, I, I think he's an amazing player, but that seems... Really high for a guy that I'm not really sure about his stolen base potential. I'm now worried about, uh, you know, the team context in Washington a little bit in terms of how bad his runs and RBIs could potentially be. Uh, I think Soda's being overdrafted personally because everybody loves him, but that's just oh, he's, me. he's
1: got, He's one of the five guys that have gone first overall.
0: Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't understand. Nine. Yeah, I don't. I don't. And and maybe I'm maybe I'm overrating. You know, I'm usually not the lineup protection guy. I'm usually the person who rails against that. Um, but I maybe I'm overrating that. But I, yeah, Soto, like I, I'm picking an eight tomorrow if Soto's there, which I know he will not be because Shelly Verstrait is picking two spots ahead of me. And if it if Soto gets to Shelly, yeah. that will be like the smash of the button that's so fast. Um, not her
1: dog will attack yeah. her
0: yeah exactly Who's name's Um,
1: Soto for those who don't know
0: (laughs) yeah Shelly and I had the first overall pick in the tag team league last year and we took we took Soto for overall so I can't imagine Soto gets to me tomorrow but if he were I think I would pass on him honestly but um, that is a different conversation for a different day Um, and I'm sure we'll be talking on a lot of pods tomorrow about TGFBI so definitely be on Twitter uh, and uh, uh, on TGFBI, I will have links to all the draft boards on tgfbi.com to the ADP and all the draft boards uh, that we'll be updating live. So uh, the next guy is Shohei Otani. Speaking of a guy that um, creates an interesting dilemma going in the first round, he's one of the guys that is projected to steal more than 20 bases coming off of a monster offensive year and a really good pitching year. Jenny, can you see yourself building around Shohei Otani from the first round considering he's UT only and he's a pitcher and a hitter, which I think adds up quite a bit more risk.
2: Yeah, the risk is definitely increased. Um, And I generally am not a huge fan of taking UT only guys. Um, I know a year or two ago, there was a lot of pushback on that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think a lot of that had to do with guys like, you know, Nelson Cruz and really high quality players, but, and Otani is one of those. Um, But filling my UT spot first kind of blows my mind a little bit. And I don't know if I can do it um I'm picking seven tomorrow and this may be a decision that I have to make um but I I don't think it's likely I also don't know that he he's another one that I wouldn't be totally shocked if he didn't continue to steal at the rate that he has been just you know in the interest of keeping him healthy um but I will add just side note even though steals are not as big of a deal in best ball Shohei Otani is is quite possibly the number one overall pick in a best ball league because he will be automatically rostered either at pitcher or utility, whichever, you know, wherever he fits best in your lineup. So there's that.
0: And also in daily moves leagues where he's eligible yes. at, at, first or at, uh, in the, um, at UT and as a pitcher, I, he's I think easily the first overall pick considering you get, um, you know, both statistics on, you know, so uh, you know, Obviously, in the in this situation, we're talking about where he is still one player, but he you've got weekly moves. Um, so, Jason, uh, what are, what are you doing? Are, are you willing to take Shohei Otani as early as he's going?
1: Uh, I'll actually bring this up because uh, I don't know if folks saw the uh, the mixed labor draft earlier this week. Otani went twenty fifth. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Like Like he fell in the middle of the second round. Uh, And that was too low. I was really surprised. I mean, you know, 15 folks in this room, everybody is, is writing or producing content in this space. And he went just after Max Scherzer and just in front of Starling Marte. That was the range. Just couldn't kind of couldn't believe that he slid. But you know, the first, there was no surprises. Honestly, there were no surprises in the first round. Then in la- in labor, Bueller.
0: is he he's dual eligible in labor? Yep. Oh wow. Okay. Yep. That's uh,
1: Bueller, Devers, uh, Alvarez, Freeman, Machado, Woodruff, DeGrom, Scherzer, Otani. That was the second round. That's how it went. So I was rather surprised he went. And I remember because uh, I was doing live stream with Erickson, and you know, he's he was like he ended up taking Woodruff only, and later he was like kind of missed the fact Otani had not been taken. Uh, at, at that point hmm. uh, where he thought he, you know, maybe in hindsight, go back and do that. But I was just surprised to see him fall because obviously in NFBC format, he has not. Uh, and he's, and he's going there um, with that. I don't mind filling utility spot. You know, I, you know, last year we had a number of guys. In fact, I went into AL labor throwing those guys out. Uh, like that's who I was tossing uh, for nomination because I wanted to see like the, uh, I think the first name I threw was your me Mercedes. And I just, And then I threw Fred Mill Reyes. You know, I I kept until I ended up purchasing one of them. Uh, And I did the same thing in a home league because in our uh, uh, in a home league, I ended up there were only so many players that could even take a utility guy. Um, And JD Martinez only had was UT only last year, and so Mm -hmm. I strategically filled everybody else's spot and then got JD Martinez for eleven dollars in that league Uh, because I had to wait until somebody else was out of uh, until that other person spent the money. Then I threw a JD Martinez, and I, you know, I said eleven dollars, and nobody could top it because nobody else had the utility spot open. Uh, there was one other person who had it for ten dollars, and so I just said eleven to get that over with, um, or ten, something like that, whatever it was. I had to strategically utilize that. And this year, like, if you're an AL person currently, right now, the only guy that qualifies in that spot is Gavin Sheets. You know, he's in that role, uh, and I said it last week. You know, labor this weekend, Gavin Sheets can be the first guy to throw out. Uh, when it comes around to me, if he's not already thrown out, because you know I want somebody to whoever whoever gets him believes it has no problem filling up the utility spot and and, and losing that in draft flexi- uh, flexibility during an auction, which is important to have. So if you're going to fill that out from a strategic uh, from a strategy, I keep saying that from a strategy standpoint, uh, <laughs> then you need to be you've got to plan for it like I'm going to lose that flexibility. Uh, and so perhaps you then make your shift to looking for some of those Swiss army knife type players, your turners that have second base and shortstop, or um, just drawing a blank on somebody with three position eligibility out there. I know there's a couple of guys. Crop, but, you know, Crop Crop those,
0: there you go. Thank you.
1: Uh, those types. So you may have to make a shift in that direction to allow you, allow yourself some flexibility within the, within the draft or within, it's not as much as an NFPC because you don't have to draft uh, in a regular O.C or you don't have to draft an active lineup in the 23. Uh, but in, in a home league or, or uh, format, you have to. At least you have some flexibility being able to move a guy without within positions if you've sacrificed your utility spot.
0: Yeah. Um, I think in my very – it was actually a mock draft. I think my very first mock draft of the year for, for, um, for one of the magazines, I took Otani, I think, 6th or 7th overall. Um, and uh, – I didn't mind the way my build turned out, but I have a—I've had a really hard time pulling the trigger, uh, when I've had the opportunity. Uh, I just don't love the idea of starting off with zero flexibility. Um, I don't mind the fact that he's a pitcher and hitter. You know, I, I draft him as a hitter. That's—I mean, I'm—I'm I'm thinking of him as a hitter, and then yeah. in season, if I need pitching. Um, if I'm doing well enough in offensive categories where I can move him out of my UT spot, I'm fine with that. And I'm not an anti UT guy. Anybody who's listened to uh me over the years knows that I love Nelson Cruz. Um, you know, I, I, I'm I'm all I'm totally fine clogging my U T spot later on in a draft. That early in a draft, it just it makes me uncomfortable. It's not saying that I can't do it or that I won't do it necessarily, but it makes me very uncomfortable. And I don't want to be uncomfortable after the first round, because like I said before, uh, you know, uh, uh earlier in the episode, I, I want to have as many options as possible for as long as I can in a draft. And I feel like putting a guy like Otani in my lineup in round one, outside of daily moves formats or basketball, um, Limits my options moving forward, and I, I just don't like doing that in round one. So, uh, The next uh, next one is um, Ronald Cunha versus Bo Bichette. Now, I probably should have done these two guys individually. They're going on kind of different ends of the first round in terms of where they're going. Um, however, with the likelihood that the season may be delayed, that gives... Acuna more time to be ready for the start of the season and I think we're going to see him jump up into kind of the top part of the first round here in the next few weeks uh, in drafts. I would not be surprised if he is a top five pick in some TGFBI drafts start that start tomorrow. So Jason, who do you prefer out of these guys um, and you can kind of just talk in general whether or not these are targets for you in the draft.
1: Well, I would rather take uh, Bichette here, you know, drawing a blank on who was making this comparison, uh, I was either listening to it, reading it, somebody talked about, you know, the year Adrian Peterson tore his ACL, came back the next year and won MVP in football. Uh, and so if somebody can make those kinds of cuts and runs, why can't Acuna uh, do the same thing? Why can't he pick up where he left off before he crashed into the right field wall uh, and be able to run? Uh I just prefer to run with a guy, go with a guy who can, who's not coming back off surgery. Uh, you know, Acuna is still the better player. He went eighth uh, in labor. Uh, Bichette went fifth to uh, Brian Bloomfield and Podhorzer. Um, and if you haven't, go check Podhorsers write-up on the site about his team because he drafted – it could be the best fantasy team in history or they could. <laughs> it, could be, it could make Justin Mason's 2019 main event team look healthy. Uh, yeah, one of those outcomes is quite possible uh, on that roster, but he took Acuna with his first pick, uh, and so yeah, a, a slight delay could could help, uh, but if, if we're going to be disappointed anywhere in, in Acuna's abilities this year, uh, I believe it's going to be in the stolen base group, I just don't see a guy just, you know, take it off and running, the hitting everything else may be good, the fact that they'll have the DH where they, maybe they don't sign, uh, somebody, and I uh, believe the whole Marcelo Zena situation uh, is is resolved from MLB's perspective. Uh, and so perhaps there are some times when you can put him in the field and let Acuna take spot at DH uh, to give his legs a rest, but that's going to be the area where I expect uh, folks to be disappointed in his
0: outcomes this year. What about you, Jenny? How do you feel about these two guys?
2: Uh, I'm interested in both of them to a point. I mean, I'm not going to take a Kuna too high unless, you know, like you said, we hear about the season being delayed. Um, Boba is obviously very interesting. Um, you can only get him if you have a certain, you know, draft slot. Um, he's, you know, projected to be a 2020 guy. I wouldn't be shocked if that number, if his stolen bases fall a little bit and he's more of a 15 guy. But as long as I'm not overestimating what I think he's going to contribute in that category, you know, I'm happy to have him. I mean, at this point, you know, like, as we'll get to later, so many of the later guys have, will going to be actively hurting you in other mm-hmm. categories. So if you can get any, a five category guy, um, I'm going to try to do it. And, and Acuna and Bichette are both that. Um, you know, it, it's possible that Acuna will um, not steal as much at the start of the season, but I think that, you know, even in a half a season, he can probably steal enough to make it worth your while. And he's good everywhere else. So, um, you know, the injury is is concerning, but not doesn't keep me away from him entirely. So I'm happy to get either one of these guys if I can.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm a little scared of Acuna. Not that I think he's going to get re-injured or anything like that. I just I do worry about do the Braves kind of put the brakes on a little bit and maybe In response to not wanting him to steal as much, maybe move him down the lineup so that way he doesn't have as many opportunities uh, to steal bases. Uh, And for that reason, I have not yet pulled the trigger on him. I've also not really been in the in the opportune spot for him or Bichette. Um, You know, Bichette is kind of clearly going behind the first three or four. Um, and I just haven't drafted in that spot. I'll say I wouldn't take him. I think I, I like Bichette quite a bit. Uh, I think he's gonna be a really, really good player, but he just he's not in the same tier as like the first three guys we talked about. Um and so I think you really have to be like four, five, six uh in the drafts, and I just haven't been there yet. Um so I, I I'm sure I will end up with Bichette at some point. I don't know that I'm going to end up with Acuna uh, at any point. Like we said, I'm picking eight tomorrow. I don't think he's going to he, – he's not in my queue of my top eight players at the moment. So that could change. We get a little bit of delay to the season, uh, but it probably won't for me. Um, moving right along, we we leave the the guys who are going in the first round, and we start talking about guys who are going in the top 50. Uh this is not in order of ADP, it's just the order that is actually order of the amount of stolen bases are projected to get. And I don't know if there's anybody who's projected to steal more bases than Alberto Mondesi.
2: Uh and he
0: has he has <laughs> snuck his way in to the top fifty after kind of being outside of there uh <clears throat> recently or uh, earlier on in the draft season. There are concerns with Mondesi, right? injury batting average the uh, general manager saying that they expect him to play about a 120 games or so uh you know and limiting him down the stretch he was limited only not playing every day but the upside is immense uh, and I think people are still dreaming on a 2060 season at some point Jenny are you willing to to take the downside that potentially comes with Montezzi for that immense upside,
2: probably not. Um, it, the problem with him is that what you, what you have to do to build a team around him, you mm-hmm. know, I've heard. I, I'm sure I've heard you and Paul say it, and I've heard other people say it that you know, if you take him, you can't just take him. You have to take other steals. Well, then why am I taking him? Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I I almost feel like you know maybe in a league where I'm okay with it being an all or nothing kind of situation, a satellite, perhaps, Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe you just go for it and you do count on him to be your steals guy. And if he, if it doesn't work out, then it doesn't work out. And because like we said, the difference between second and 15th place is nothing. So, um, you know, a situation like that, maybe I, I took him, I've taken him once so far and it was when, uh, Jason was running our, uh, best ball league in Arizona. I think I got him in like the 11th round or something like that because he just was falling. And, you know, in a, in a best ball league, uh, you don't need to worry about steel specifically. Um, So, you know, I think that his price has fallen to a point where it's not crazy, but I don't think in, you know, something like a main event, something, you know, with fab and, and, you know, high money, I'm going to be a part of it just because I have not figured out the right way to build around him. And I don't, I don't see it happening.
0: Yeah. Uh, I like that idea though of, of targeting him in like a, a league in which a first place wins and second through 15 get nothing. Um, uh, Cause I, I, did take him recently in the triple play invitational uh, league, which is, you know, so like a small version of TG FBI, right? It's, it's a bunch of industry people. And I think some triple play uh, listeners, readers, Um, and then there's a small overall, I think there's only three leagues and it's, it's only 50 bucks. And so like, I don't really care necessarily about the league prize as much as just winning the overall in that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I want to win my league. Um, and so it kind of fit there, but again, like you said, I don't feel comfortable just drafting Mondesi, right? I, I want Mondesi plus other speed sources. I've projected him for like 25 stolen bases. Um, and hope that I get 60, but, uh, the chances that, uh, I actually, uh, do, uh, I don't want to set myself up for failure by not drafting other stolen bases. It's unlikely he's going to fall on my teams as we go forward through draft season, just because the risk is so great. I think the only reason I'm, I even entertain taking him is because third base is so bad and he's third base eligible this year. Um, and so when you start kind of getting past him in terms of third base, uh, it gets really gross really quickly. Uh, and so that's been kind of one of the reasons why I'm willing to, uh, attack and, uh, and go after Mondesi there. Jason, where are you at on Mondesi?
1: (laughs) I don't want to, I really, really, really don't want to.
0: Um,
1: I mean, if you look over the last couple of years, it's like, like we've said, if we could bottle up every September and just, you know, give me half a season, stretch that across that that level of production into three months, or, or the, the what he does in September, because it's awesome, yeah. Uh, you know, and but it's the other five months of the season, which are which are problematic. But you know he doesn't his best asset speed. He does not walk enough to take advantage of that, and he strikes out too much. Uh, but around that, when he's on the field, magic happens, uh, and so that's why people are still there. But it's it's the fact that he's still going in the mid fifties, and this was another guy that Potthorzer took uh, on the team. Uh, You know, but the fact that he's going to mid 50s speaks to this problem of speed in and of itself. This is why he's going in the mid 50s, because, uh, again, maybe he maybe he could get 20, 60, but he's never hit more than 14 home runs in a season. Uh, And it's it's just really tough to, uh, as Jenny was saying, you're not just taking him. Uh, And like we were talking with Turner earlier, I can take Turner uh, and, you know, ignore it for a little while, but sometimes you take modesty because he's projected 14 most steals out there. Like the 45 is, is, is uh, about the, the mean for what I've seen for his projected steals. Um But you, you got, you have to take something else because you can't just get kicked out. If he decides to get hurt the day before the season starts, like he did last year, I was chasing steals all season uh in town and, thank God that Starling Marte came to the AL uh, because that's what, between him coming to the AL last year and then Mondesi playing in September, I was able to get out of dead last in stolen bases and get up into the middle. And if you score below 60 points, you lose fab. I got up over the 60 point threshold because of the gains I made in steals in September because Mondesi decided to show up uh, and and Marte was running uh, there. So that helps, but it was a, it was a grind all season to get out of dead last and steals because, you know, when you come in, we out of an AL, uh, AL only auction, it's only you know, you know I'm good, I've got good enough. Speed. I wasn't trying to win the category, but when 80% of my plan went out the window on day one, that was problematic.
2: Yeah. I think one thing that, you know, is kind of a misconception in leagues with a big overall, like the main event or something like that is that, you need to take these guys who are potential home run hitters, not literal home run hitters, but, you know, like guys who can, can do that for you like Mondesi. And I don't think that's really not the case. I mean, if you look at the teams that do well in the overall main event, they have a lot of safe players. They're not going for, you know, the big, you know, Mondesi types. They're not going for the all or nothing type guys. So I think that can sometimes be um, misunderstood.
0: And I, I mean, uh, one of the best panels I've ever watched was uh, a Arizona Fall League panel in 2019 uh, with Dave Potts and Vlad Sedler and I think Rob Silver. Um are sitting in there. Yeah. And, and Dave talking exactly about that is often people think, and I thought when I went into my first main event, set $1,700 on fire, that... Upside, upside's the play, go for the upside, go for the ceiling, go for the roof. You look at a lot of these main event overall winners and you can actually, you know, beauty of NFBC is you can go and look at all the previous leagues and see who drafted who. Um, and you can see like these, these leagues are often pretty boring. Like they're just guys who accumulated the most amount of plate appearances, the most amount of in, uh, innings. Um, and they obviously, they were good, right? They don't want bad players or anything, but they just, they, they had all these accumulators that really set them apart from the rest of the league. And they don't often have these, you know, shoot for the moon Byron bucks in modesty types. So. Um, uh, that was such a good panel that it was
2: home. so crowded that you and I were sitting on the floor yeah, together. Yeah. And like I was that. happy
0: too. I, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, had, Uh, I felt bad for the other panels going around at that time because yeah, Yeah. I think everybody was in that room.
1: You're just kicking, you're just kicking Pod's team because he took
0: Buckster right after he took Mondesi. Yeah. (laughs) I I love, I love Pod Orser. I absolutely love him. I think he's one of the nicest guys in the world. Um, I've got a great funny story that I'm not going to tell today, but uh, about the first time we met. Um, but, uh, he has so much risk on that team. There is like, Absolutely no way that that is going to be successful. I hope I'm wrong. I hope because it caused a huge stir on Twitter uh, between some uh, a bunch of high stakes people, a bunch of industry yep. people, and then just some regular joes um, uh, to the point where, like, I had to log off for a few hours because it monopolized my work day. Um, it's like a
1: 16-team it, parlay. It's like, really, it's like if this is going to hit, I'm going to throw, throw $100 at a 16-team parlay. If this thing hits, I'm going to – so it was just funny to watch the build happen because after, you know, okay, you took Acuna, fine. DeGrom, okay, yeah, there's some risk. Perez, fine. Once he took Mondes, then it was like, okay, you know, Jeff and I uh, in the thread, we were like, okay, he's going to be taking Buxton. Yep. Uh, and then pitcher-wise, he needs a pitcher. Oh, he's going to be taking Verlander. This is obvious. Yep. Kershaw's gotta be coming up. Yep. Uh it is like Severino, Sindergard, It was a Carrasco, it's like all these guys. It was just like once you're once you're into it, lean into it. Just go for it. That's exactly what he did. But to his point, as he says in his article, you know, if he finds that the market tends to undervalue these guys, I mean there's a reason why we undervalue them. But you know, if they can all hit in the same season, again, he could have a, an amazing season with this roster, and he, he could also be out of it. Um, by the middle of the year, and light light seventeen hundred dollars of, of monopoly money on fire, mm-hmm. um, like you did. Yeah, about was yeah. Money. <laughs> uh,
0: There there's a Stanford professor that explained the odds of winning the lottery, um, and this professor said that uh, the odds of winning the lottery are going into a uh, a an Olympic sized swimming pool with one green M M&M and M in it. Um, and the rest is filled with just regular uh, other colored M&Ms, and finding that green M&M blindfolded. And if you uh, put together teams like this, yes, there's a chance you're going to find that green M&M. But more likely than not, you're going to have to do what I did in 2019, which was work my ass off to not finish dead last in the overall. Um, Because on top of the injury risk he already took, what if other guys that he didn't think were injured... What if Sal Perez gets injured? Like, you know, I mean, you can't... You couldn't sustain all those injuries. I Like I said, love Horser, There's part of me that hopes he wins that league um, just to shove it in people's faces who were brutally mean um, on Twitter for no apparent reason about it. Yeah, I was...
2: I was watching that, uh, live, the stream that you guys were doing with Erickson and Zinke. And, um, mm-hmm. I think that what Fred Zinke said was probably right. That the most likely scenario is that like half the guys stay healthy or a portion of them stay healthy, a portion of them get hurt. And then you're just kind of middling.
0: Yeah. And so it doesn't
2: yeah. you really kind of need them all to stay healthy, which is, right. you know, that much more unlikely.
0: Yeah. And it just, it's just so hard for it all to come together, uh. And then the part, the other part of me hopes him he does not uh, he he does not do well because I'm drafting like none of those guys. <laughs> so if they do well, then mo- some of my other teams may be in some trouble. So. Uh, but I, I love Mike. He, he's a good dude. He's a really good analyst. He's won you know big industry leagues before, so he knows yeah, what he's he doing. Yeah, and his projections so. came out
1: this week. So mm-hmm.
0: yep, check on those. I, I get them every year. So uh, he pod does great work. So. Uh, Moving on to uh, the aforementioned Starling Marte, uh, who helped Jason get out of that basement in stolen bases. Uh, he is now with the Mets, uh, and I th- he is going pretty squarely in that second round because of his stolen base potential. Coming off of a monster second half with the A's, uh, Jenny, what are your thoughts? Are you drafting Starling Marte? Um,
2: I would like to not. I mean, I, I'm... I'm open to it because he's somebody in the first four rounds that can get me steals. And depending on how things fall and where my draft pick is, that might be what I'm doing, but I kind of hope I don't have to, I think that we are paying for, you know, potentially a quote unquote career year. Um, I don't know that he is going, you know, like steals are so much about desire. And team, you know, team desire and player desire. And, you know, he may have really had it, you know, in him to steal every time he got on base last season. That doesn't mean he's going to want to do it this year. That doesn't mean the team is going to want to do it this year. So I, and I also just generally, I know one of the things that I've learned from Glenn Colton and Rick Wolf is, you know, I don't generally um, draft guys in, in their first year and on a new contract. So I, Hope that I don't need to draft him, but if, you know, if he's better than the later options. So if, if it comes down to it, I'll do it. If it works out that way.
0: Jason, what about you? Are you uh, rewarding Marte's stellar performance for your team by putting him back on your team? Uh Not the
1: price. Uh I, I, And I'm scared for a few reasons. Jenny brought up one uh about him moving to a new team, but I'm also really concerned about Buck Walter running the Mets uh now. Uh, and Buck Showalter is, you know, when he had the reins of Baltimore and had a couple of guys that ran, he did not leverage them as often because he was playing for the home run because he had Chris Davis before Chris Davis sucked. Uh, and, and he had Manny Machado, like he had these types of guys. And so he decided, I'm going to, you know, play for the three-run home run instead of try to manufacture runs. And you look at this Mets lineup uh, and they have the talent. So can you imagine him letting Marte run, Pretty much freely, as, as Miami and Oakland did, uh, particularly Oakland, uh, letting them do whatever he wants when they're trying to set up the middle part of that offense. So I'm, I'm concerned about the change of location, the change of manager who's got a track record of not leveraging these types of athletes to their full uh, potential uh, on the stolen basis. Whereas if he, he's going in the back half of the second round, he went uh, in labor to Stefania Bell uh, in the right after uh, right after the Otani pick. Uh, and in between Tim Anderson, but I am concerned, like we talked about Acuna being that disappointment in the first round, with steals Marte to me is the next guy uh, in the second round that we're going to look back and be like, where did the steals go? And Buck show is was going to be sitting there with that stoic look on his face. Like, did you not believe me the previous seasons? Uh, so uh, he's still going to get double digits, but it's, you know, when you look at his managerial track record, uh, and happy to put a link in the show notes so you can look at this because Baseball Reference does a great job with this. Uh, you know, you can take a look at the at the rate uh, of his base runners stealing second and third. Uh, and I want to say Marte had a number of uh, attempts stealing third last year, and that's something that Showalter does not like doing. Um, and so wherever the steals are projected for Marte, I I would shave 15 percent off them and, and plan around that.
0: Yeah, um, in 2021, Starling Marte stole 47 bases. In 2014, the Baltimore Orioles under Buck Showalter uh, stole 44 bases. In 2015, the Baltimore Orioles under Buck Showalter stole 44 bases. In 2016, the Baltimore Orioles under Buck Showalter stole 19, 19 bases, bases as a team. In 2017, the Baltimore Orioles under Buck Showalter stole 32 bases. Um, I now maybe this is going to be more team contacts. They didn't have as many guys who could steal. Uh, I don't know how much I buy that. I I also don't know how much he's going to be in charge of that. Like, will the front office who's gone out and gotten Starling Marte and Mark Canna, guys who can steal bases, say, no, you're going to let these guys run a little bit and Buck's going to listen. I don't know. I also know that Starling Marte has had a pretty lengthy injury history uh, over the course of his career. I love Starling Marte. I've always been a Starling Marte guy. I can't pay a top 25 price, which is pretty much where he's going at this point. If I'm at the back end of like the two-three turn, and he gets to me. I think that's a conversation I'm I'm willing to have, depending on how I started. But more than likely, if I'm drafting on that two-three turn, I've got Turner or I've got Jose Ramirez. I don't necessarily need a Starling Marte and the risk that he comes with. So it seems unlikely, as much as I've liked him in the past, uh, that I'm going to end up with him. I think the only real opportunity is if, for some reason, I have like a top five pick and I go Cole. And I, in that second round, he gets back around to me. I think that is probably the only scenario in which I'm probably taking him, uh, which is a bummer. I'm rooting for him. I like Starling Marte a lot as a player. Uh, I've always rooted for him, but he's just probably not going to be on many of my teams this year.
1: And we talked about opportunities, about how often he was running. So last year, you know, again, using baseball reference, Uh, he had 193 stolen base opportunities last year. And a stolen base opportunity is defined as the man's on base and the base in front of him is unoccupied. Now, I'm not talking about third base and home. I'm talking he's on first or second, and second or third is unoccupied. So he had 193 chances, attempted 52 stolen bases, and it was 47 out of 52, which puts him at a 26 27% uh, attempt rate. Then the previous, in in 2020, that was a 12% attempt rate. Uh, in 2019, it was a, set, a 17% attempt rate. So last year is like, just look at the three-year training with 17-12. And then on, you know, then with the Marlins slash A's, 27%. Now he's going to a manager who has historically not done so much. So I would expect movement back towards 2019, which is where he's 25 of 31. And 25 would be really good this year. Uh, It's just not, uh, and we're talking, again, we're talking about a guy who's going to be turning 33 in this season. Uh, So, you know, to me, I I would, I'd be stunned if we got a repeat of uh, 40 plus deals out of him, Uh, obviously safer than taking Mondesi, but at the same time, I, you know, I would, you have to expect a decline in stolen bases between the change in scenery, the change in who's running the ship. And I do hear you a little bit, Justin, on the, you know, the Mets didn't go out and get these guys only for Showalter to sit them. Uh, or like put the red light on them. But if they wanted to have, if they wanted to be that heavy handed with their management, they would have gotten a, a younger manager. They wouldn't have gone out and got a show Showalter because show is not going to play that game. You know, if they wanted a puppet, they can go find somebody. If they want they brought show in for a reason. Uh And they want him to do what he does. Uh, and I'm, Unfortunately, that's
0: Mets going to a, a Mets gonna day. Mets. That's yeah. I mean, that's yeah. uh, I you know I feel bad for Mets fans because I, I I really would like them. It's say, gonna be the like, year, man. Yeah, a, you gotta uh,
1: believe. Is that what their slogan is? Right? You gotta believe.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't, yeah, they, they shouldn't have a slogan at this point. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna pair the the next three in this in this kind of tier together. Uh, that's Whit Merrifield versus Cedric Mullins. Versus Trevor Story, all three are going within like five or six picks of each other, kind of in the uh, beginning of the third, middle of third round. Um, so, Jenny, which one out of these guys are you most likely to draft? I and mean, is there any that you're probably not drafting at all?
2: Um, I'm open to any of them just because, you know, of the fact that I, I need to get speed in this first round. So you can't be too, too picky. Um, but I probably would lean the most towards Mullins. Um, <laughs> That's right. I I took him. I took him in the in the thousand dollar draft good. champions that I just finished. Um, he fell to. I got him at uh, round three, pick ten. I think that was fantastic. I will take that. I mean, it was one pick after Jordan Romano. So if that gives you any context,
0: yeah.
2: Um, but uh, Merrifield is good. Merrifield should continue running. Like nothing's really changed in this situation. He's he, he's older too, which you know, I can scare you, but I don't think is, you know, just on its own, a reason to necessarily avoid him. Um, he doesn't, he's not going to give you the power. Um, and I think Cedric Mullins probably isn't going to give you a ton of power either, but you know, if if he can get in the high teens and still runs that's good enough for me. And, you know, he should be not, not a, not hurt you in batting average. That's good. Trevor's story. Um, I like him in theory, but I don't. You know, without knowing where he's going to be, I'm worried about doing that and um, any kind of you know high investment league. Just because you know, what if he goes to Houston? You know, they don't really steal very much. You know, so there's it's a possibility that he could go somewhere where the uh, team or the manager um, puts the brakes on him. So that worries me a little bit. I'm sure he'll still be uh, a good contributor overall. But if you're just specifically talking about speed, I would worry a little bit because we don't know where he's going.
0: I think that's fair. Jason, what about you? Who's your favorite? Anybody you're uh, avoiding?
1: Not much to add. I mean, I've, I've talked about my issues with with Merrifield, the fact that he's never been hurt. And it's, it's just in this day and age for somebody to be a Wolverine like that and just never miss any single amount of time and play the volume of stuff he has. Um Something's got to give at some point, and if I'm saying that, and I'm saying he may not be a top 60 player because this is the year that that gives, I don't want to take him with the second pick of the third round like Fred did. Uh, Mullins went uh, 28th to Tim McLeod uh, towards the end of the second round, and Story went towards the back of the third to Ray Flowers yeah I, I do want to take my shot on story. I would actually love if he we went to Houston given his pull tendencies and you could really have a fun time there. Uh, and so I would take story, but I'm not but I think story's properly priced. I would have pa- if I was picking where Mullins and Merrifield went, I would have passed on both of them at that price.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody who's ever heard this podcast before has not heard me just gush about Cedric mm-hmm. Mullins. So I mean clear to me he's the uh, he's the prize of the, of this trio. Um, I've taken him as early as 15th overall in the AFL, uh, AFL draft back in October. I don't think I would do that again. Uh, but um, I've been loving getting him sometimes in the third round. Uh if he's available to me, I think pick 25 is, is where my second round pick comes around. You're going to take him. Uh, tomorrow, I'm likely going to take him depending on who I got in the first round. You're going to take him. I, I, there's, there's little to no chance that he makes it back around with everybody in the draft knowing who I am. But as Jenny so,
1: said, like Jenny, you said that you got him the 10th pick of the third round. See, that price yeah. I would take.
0: Uh, yeah.
1: like, I'm not out on anybody, but if Mullins were sitting there towards the back end of the third round... I would take the chance at, just because at, all that volume
0: at the same time that Jenny made that pick, I was in a different draft and got him with the third pick or the, uh, the 11th uh, pick of the third round. Okay. Um, and so i had started off, uh, I believe it was the league. I started off uh, with pocket aces and then landed uh, and then landed Mullins in the third. So,
1: but I believe he's been safely going in the second round at every everyone I've done so far, either done or observed. He's, he's been safely he, a second round pick.
0: He's been dropping in drafts, so yeah he he was he was kind of a mid to sometimes early second round pick early on in draft season. He's been slowly moving down the ADP to the point now where I think his uh, ADP and I'm gonna double check just to make sure I, I don't misspeak is ADP in draft champions leagues uh, since uh, the beginning of this month. So we've got a month's worth of drafts, and uh, that's 35 DCs. Um, is pick 35? So he is he is into the third round at this point uh, in fifteen team leagues, almost out of the third round in twelve team leagues.
1: Take that back. He went three thirteen to DVR in the AFL Riders League that we talked about last week. Yeah, yeah, he went three thirteen in that, and that was on the heels of an Otani and a Betts selection uh, that he had made. So that was DVR's first three picks were Otani, Betts, Mullins.
0: So I don't have a problem taking Whit Merrifield or Trevor Story. I've not. Ended up, or I think I've gotten Story once. I've not ended up with Merrifield um, at this point. Uh, I don't really have any concerns on either of them. I think they're both going to be uh, kind of what they've been. I, I, what Jenny just said though about Story does kind of um, uh, does kind of uh, scare me a little bit. I, I did not even think about the fact that he could end up on a team like Houston um and probably not run as much, though I think he would still be a, a really, really good player. Um so I don't mind taking him where he's going, but uh I don't think he ends up in Houston. I, I keep thinking he's gonna end up in in with the with the Angels. Um that's my uh that's the spot that I uh, they've got such a big hole there. I guess Philadelphia's a good spot too. So um moving right along to guys going outside of the top fifty and I think we have to start with Miles Straw. He is the, uh, he is the player uh, projected to steal the most bases going outside of the top 50. Jason, you talked about him earlier. Would you be willing if you, I guess needed to take Miles Straw? Are you doing everything you can to avoid doing that? The
1: other, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm trying to do everything that I can to avoid getting in this pool because when you, I'm just gonna run through the name, the five names we have listed because of the flaws. and I've had to take at least one of these guys. Uh, but, you know, you got Miles Straw, Tommy Edmond, Jazz Chisholm, uh, Akeel Badu, and Tyler Wade. And I have Chisholm in a league, but I don't mind targeting Chisholm uh, because, you know, multi-position, uh in the athleticism. I know the the before and after injury numbers. Uh, you know, James Anderson is, is on one end of the love him, and there are other people that are on the opposite end of, like, I'm out uh, with it. Badu, you know, Paul's on the I love him, and a lot of people are fading Badu as well. Uh, a name that I would throw into this because actually uh, no, I'll save that for the post um, two fifty piece of that. But if each one of these guys comes with their with their own risk, uh, but again, I, of this group, Chisholm is my particular favorite uh, because I believe he's got the most overall offensive upside with the least amount of risk. We know what we know what his risk is now. I don't you know, the strikeouts were problematic, um, but the other guys either have. Offen- bigger off- offensive flaws or lack of a track record, or in Tyler Wade's case, no power. Uh, and that's where Chisholm, you know, he's a guy that's being taken, what, fifth, sixth round? I'm trying to remember where I've taken him, uh, who could take a step forward, whereas the other guys are, uh, I don't see them taking that step forward. Yeah, I took Chisholm in the, towards the end of the sixth round in the AFL Writers League. All right.
0: But the- uh, what about you? Are you avoiding Miles Straw there, Jenny? Uh,
2: I hopefully. Um, I think the problem is, you know, it's it's hard to say. Okay, I can wait on steals or if I don't get steals, oh, I'll just get Miles Straw. Well, there might be six people in your league who want to do that, and then so if you start jumping them up and up and up in eighty, you know, in the draft to try to get them, then you're like really starting to get to a point where you're costing yourself, you know, perceived value there. So, you know, I've heard people make an argument for, you know, for and against whether or not he could lose his job. Um, And if you have a legitimate skills argument as to why he's good and he'll keep it, that's fine. But the argument that I don't agree with is who else do they have? I don't like that. I don't think in general it's a good argument because a team will find somebody that, you know, if somebody's not playing well, if Miles Straw is not playing well, They'll find somebody else. I mean, I I go a lot to the Clippers games here in Columbus. There's there are guys there who can come up and take his spot if he's not playing well. So, yeah. um, you know, if you think he has the skills to hold it, then that's that's your opinion, and that's great. Um, I don't, I don't want to if I can help it. I, I hope I don't have to.
0: Yeah, I think he's got the skills to keep it. I think defensively is good enough. Uh, he, he makes a lot of zone contact. It, you know it's can be weak contact at times, time, but he makes a lot of contact. I do think that he has the skills to kind of keep that role. Um, the problem is I don't want to be put in a situation where a bunch of my stolen bases are wrapped up into one guy, because if he does lose his job, is anybody going to be surprised? You know, not to mention if he gets hurt, then where are all my stolen bases? So yeah. I, I think it is, it is more of a Hail Mary play than coming into my draft Deciding this is who I want to get. It's a, oh my God, I'm at pick one something. And I go, oh no, I don't have enough stolen bases. All right, Miles Straw, come on down. As opposed to entering my draft with a plan that I'm going to be getting Miles Straw on this team. It, but like I said earlier,
1: there's going to be another team in that boat. If you're in a, you're in a larger, larger the league, the more, the more, uh, Likely that is to happen. I would even say in just using the AL, using labor or tout coming up, there's always, if you're in an auction, you think about there's always another team that's got a lot of money. Uh, There's Mm -hmm. never just one team out there on the island. There may be at the first break, but there's always another team that has money. So there's going to be two teams that have money. You could also, and you have the the confluence of those two money teams, also both needing speed. Then all of a sudden you're going to be paying. Uh, Where you thought, look, I get them late. Maybe I'll get them for 15, 16. Paying 20, uh, because it, he literally would be the last guy, like right now. Uh, because the guy that I wanted to mention after 250, uh, is ADP is 265, and he's a free agent right now. Uh, so we don't know where he's going to be, uh, there. But with straw that's what I, I always want to get. I always want to avoid those situations where I'm not having to compete against the other guy with the big money, uh, or get into that at that point. If you've punted, you, you should have already made up your mind. Uh, and say, okay, at this point, I'm not. I know I'm gonna have to pay, so maybe I'll drive up the price a little bit, and I'm gonna move on. But you better have plans elsewhere. And then it's like, okay, I need to throw whatever dart I can in the reserve rounds at, at stolen base sources because I'm gonna need them. Uh, and you try—that's you know, last year that would have been Tyler Wade. I know right now he's projected to be a, a mostly day shortstop, um, but Tyler Wade was one of those safe steals guys uh, in in AL only formats because he wasn't starting for the Yankees, but they did like they did like to let him run. Um, and so it's like, okay, I'll take that dart and and see what happens. But I mean, I really want to avoid the situation where I'm in an auction having to bid up there. So watch me get in that situation. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. try to avoid watch. You're going to be like, I thought Jason said he didn't want to do that. Well, if I end up purchasing Michael, Ma, Michael, Miles straw and either one of labor and talent, it was not by design. I'll tell you that now
0: well and you're lucky that i'm not in your your labor or tout auction because i'm the type of person that looks for the scarcest category and that's what i throw out i you know nikki lopez and miles straw will be one of my first nominations at, at tout wars this year just so i can not let people wait till the end to try to fill that stolen base so i won't i want to i want to put pressure on people early um but that being said uh let's move on to uh tommy edmund versus jazz chisholm uh there are some people in both these guys are somewhat polarizing. There are people in the industry that you know really like one or the other, um, you know, really dislike one of the other. Jason, where are you at? I know you just said you just drafted Chisholm in the sixth round in a league, but where are you at on both uh Chisholm versus Tommy Edmund?
1: Yeah, I i want Chisholm, and they're not that even in labor, they went that far apart. Rudy Gamble uh, of Ras oh. took Chisholm in the uh towards the end of the fifth round, and then Edmund went three picks later. Uh, to Steve Gardner, uh, who needed and, – and here's a good example of a team that needed speed, right? Opened up with Corbin Burns, Rafael Devers, Pete Alonso, JT Real Muto, and Edwin Diaz. And so, like, he was almost forced to take it, Edmund at that pick. Uh, and perhaps maybe he would have uh, taken Chisholm had he, gone, had he made it that way. But that's a team where it's like, I need to have speed uh, out of the first – and he didn't have any. And so I, I believe Edmund's selection there was more driven by need than it was the, the value because then you have – Stanton and Bregman, Brandon Lau, Jonathan India, like you have those types going behind them. I would take all of those guys over Edmund, but because of the way the build started there, he had to take that. Um, whereas uh, you know, Rudy had Al- uh, Albies, Alvarez, Gilito, Franco. And so he too would have needed speed uh, and made Chisholm a target. So Chisholm may have been uh, pushed up there uh, because of that same thing. So, But we're talking about round five and builds being adjusted by needs on speed by the fifth round. Because of how how teams were being put together, and that's a strategy you're going to have to consider, uh, the listener uh, as you're trying to put your own team together.
0: I think I think both these guys are one of the reasons why you want to take speed earlier in the draft. Jenny, what are your thoughts on Chisholm versus Tommy Edmond?
2: Uh, I see them as fairly equivalent to each other. Um, Edmund obviously has a little bit longer track record versus Chisholm. Um, you know, the big thing about Chisholm is that people you know say you know, to point out the fact that he started out so hot and then tailed off. Um, I, eh, I'm kind of mad about that. Um, but I think the big thing is I think that you're trading um, average that Edmund can provide for a little bit more power that jazz has. So it kind of just depends what you need. Um, I'm, I'm okay with either one. There's also the position difference, you know, with jazz being uh, multi-position eligible in the infield and, and then being, what does he have? He has second and outfield. Second, for outfield second. For Edmund.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I think okay. it just
2: depends a lot on team needs. Um, you know, I'll do it if I need to don't love it.
0: Yeah. Um, I think when they fall into the right kind of spot for me is, is when I'm going to be targeting them. I was a little bit higher on Edmond coming into draft season I'm a little bit worried, necessarily, about maybe the safety of his job uh, long term. They've got Gorman, uh, you know. They have both uh, Paul DeYoung uh, and Edmund Sosa. So uh, he, I think, he really actually needs to hit um, in order to keep that job. Uh, as a full-time guy, not revert into some sort of super utility role, and so for that reason, I've been kind of laying off drafting him later in drafts. Chisholm, I love, I absolutely love. I think the, the only question mark for me in Chisholm is the injuries, I and mean, he was nicked up quite a bit last year. Uh, but I think if you build a pretty good uh, kind of safe base at the beginning of draft, he can fit into most uh, onto most teams. So uh, he's a guy that I got in the bottle of podcast draft. Uh, at a really really great price I think around pick 90. so uh, especially when he drops in draft he's, he's a guy that I tend to really like and especially if you are playing in leagues without an overall component and you're willing to uh, kind of devalue your punt batting average, Jazz Chisholm can be a monster I think in those kind of formats so uh,
2: When Edmund too I think um, you know it, even more so than him actually losing his job, he might uh, get moved down in the in the batting order. Um, he doesn't have a great OBP. So if he's mm-hmm. hitting, you know, seven, eight, nine, um, I think that's going to hurt his SEALs potential a lot more than if he's sitting at the top of the lineup.
0: Yeah. Uh, speaking of guys who have uh, a lot of uh, either detractors or advocates, um, Akil Badu uh, is a very polarizing player. Jason, you already kind of mentioned uh, or talked a little bit about him. But Jenny, what are your thoughts on Akil Badu? Is he a guy you're targeting in drafts?
2: I haven't yet. And I really don't know what to make of him. Um, I normally will stick with somebody who's done it for more than one season. Um, But, you know, in the right situation and the right um, lineup, it depends on how much risk I've taken uh, earlier in the draft and things like that. I'm open to it. Um, I, I honestly don't know, don't know what to think of him. He sort of just seemed like he came out of nowhere last year and I don't, like, why, why did he come out of nowhere? Was he, was he not performing before? I know he was a rule five guy, but I don't know enough about his history to know whether this is reliable or not. So he I got, honestly don't have an opinion.
0: He got injured uh, pretty severely in the minor leagues, mm. which I think uh, delayed his kind of development. Um, I can't remember if it was Tommy Chom or something else, but, um, and so then he was left unprotected uh, in the rule five draft and uh, because uh, he was he was originally, I believe, on the Twins. Um, yep. So, yeah. uh, and then, but suffered a, a, a severe injury in the minors, and, and that kind of stunted his development. Um, I'm I've been taking kind of calculated shots. It's when I feel like I've got a really solid, strong, not risky base because I think there's a huge range of outcomes on a guy like Badu. Uh, and so I don't want to mix that with other huge range of outcomes. So I, I don't necessarily want to mix that with a or a Buxton or, or, or guys that I don't, or a jazz chisel. Uh, so for the most part, I I've been making some calculated plays because I, I do believe in the speed for sure. And I think the power is somewhat legitimate. I just worry what the strikeout rate is going to be and how much contact he's going to make. And, uh, and if he ends up getting platooned because of that. So, yeah. Jason, what are your thoughts on Badu? Uh,
1: you know, he went, when I looked at labor, he went towards the uh, the back of the 10th round to Tim to McLeod. Uh, I like that a lot better than me taking him the lead off the eighth in a DC that I did, uh, but that gets back to team construction. That was the one that I did pocket aces and Lindor, Class A, Brandon Lau, Nolan Arenado, John Carlos Stanton. That's how I opened that one. And I was like, oh my God, this team is slow. Uh, and so I went and looked and said, what is the best, what is the, what is the player that has the, the most ups, upside in, in the running game at this point to avoid getting into that? I got a draft mile straw hole uh, and it was Badoo. Uh, and then I ended up the same kind of decision forced me into an Ahmed Rosario pick in the 12th round uh, because you, know, you can't, you got to go 50 rounds in this one. So I was trying to build speed the rest of the draft uh, after not addressing it, which was really the impetus for me writing that particular article. Uh, saying it can get away from you in a hurry and you spend the rest of it trying to chase it down uh, with it. So I really didn't like them taking the eighth round, but these are some of the decisions you are will be forced to make uh, as you put your own teams together. Uh, but we're moving out of DC season into, um, into fab league season. So it'll be a little easier in that regard because you can pick it up in season or you can make reserve, you know, try to uh, pick it up in the reserves, but uh, this is normally not a player that i have on my team because for the reasons both of you outlined there's a risk profile here i am not comfortable with but need drove it i had to i put my comforts aside and say this is what i need and so i took it
0: all right uh moving on to uh the the final guy of this group uh one name is not like the others uh, all, all these other guys are being drafted pretty much inside the top 150 in in just about every trap and then there's Tyler Wade um so Tyler Wade currently is ADP is 419 he is the only player really outside the top 200 projected to steal 20 bases Jason are you interested in Tyler Wade who at the moment with a lockout appears to have somewhat of a full-time role in uh, in Los Angeles. Yeah, Even without that, I mean, when you look at a guy that's going to
1: qualify, like in Tout, because Tout uses a 15-game eligibility, he qualifies at three spots. In a normal league, he qualifies at third and short. So, yeah, you're going to have some in, interest.
0: In NFBC, he qualifies in at third, short, and outfield.
1: Oh, I take I'm looking at, you know, because they have it. Oh, they have it. Because uh, our know, fan grass we have it split out in left, center, and right field. That's why. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm sorry. So, yeah there's there's interest in that this is a nice this would be a reserve pick uh you know like I said even even in part-time duty with the Yankees he still ran if Tyler Wade comes on base he runs he's going to be with Joe Madden. Joe Madden does like letting his guys run. Uh, so even in a reserve capacity with what expects some value uh from Wade uh, in, in the stolen base department I, I fail to see how he doesn't steal 12 to 15 bags this year. Uh, it's just going to be how much he plays uh, because, in a full time role, the back could be really empty because um, he's going to hit nine. He just doesn't, uh, I can't, I don't see any other way he doesn't do anything but hit ninth. Um, and then, but if he hits ninth and he gets on, look who he's gonna, look who he's going to be on in front of. Um, and it's not like they're going to, you can still let him run because you're not going to say, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go ahead and put uh, Otani on base and pitch to Trout with, with Wade and Otani on base. Because Lord knows those two can probably score both of them on a single uh, with their speed because Wade is one of the fastest players in baseball. So, uh, yeah, there's definitely there's definitely some interest there um, with the with the flexibility and a speed potential. But that it's all all of his values tied up in that because it doesn't have anything else.
0: Jenny, are you interested in Tyler Wade?
2: Um, I think I'm more interested in him in a fab league than in a something like a draft champions just because he's so droppable if um the situation doesn't work out. Um like you, you know, you said yourself, you know, potentially Trevor Story could end up there. Yep. Um so you know, if if somebody else comes in, he might lose his spot and then you get rid of him. Um I think that's in some ways easier to manage than an Edmund or a Chisholm or a Badoo that, you know, if they're not performing or you know get hurt then you're sort of stuck in this limbo of wanting to keep them on your bench while they're not playing and that's something that I'm really trying to avoid this year I'm trying to be very conscious of you know what I think I'm going to do with a player if he's not performing or not or is hurt and I don't want to have a lot of guys um sitting on my bench that are not usable so um somebody who's going to be a easy decision in the first few weeks um is uh, appealing in a certain way. And if if you're really stuck for steals, um, he's definitely an option. But he is going to be actively hurting you in almost every other category. So you're, you're paying a price if you're starting him.
0: Yeah, uh, I actually like him in both formats. I like him in draft and hold just because he's triple eligible. Um, and Joe Madden likes these guys who can play all over the place. Um, and so I do think they're going to sign somebody to play shortstop full time. I can't imagine they're entering the season with Wade as a full timer or anybody or you is, is there too, I guess, um, they're not entering with those guys as the full time shortstop, you know, at worst, it's going to be like an Andrew Simmons type. I don't know if it's Simmons necessarily. Um, but I think that, uh, his, his role is going to be like a super utility guy. Um, Jonathan VR ask right a got a guy uh that I think Jason's going to talk about here in a second as we we give elite dart throws um and so like yeah I like him in a DC because he's triple eligible he could fill a lot of different spots for me if I have injuries later on in the season um I like him in uh in a fab league for the exact same reason you mentioned because if he's not playing every day and he's not helping me in other categories too i can easily drop him to the waiver wire but he also fills a lot of spots uh from my reserve list in case i have an early injury or something like that so uh all right uh i asked you guys to put together uh maybe some names going outside the top 250 that aren't Tyler Wade uh that you think could end up jumping into these guys that are stealing 20 bases uh uh, Jason, I know you're jumping, but I'm gonna go with Jenny first. Jenny, give us uh, uh, some names that you're interested in because you're the host or you're the guest.
2: I should say VR just to just to steal them yeah. right now, but I won't. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, Dylan Moore, who oh, that's okay. uh, is you,
1: playing. You chose a UCF guy. That's good. That's good.
2: <laughs> okay. All, All right. right. <laughs> good. Bye. Um, he. He's a tough one because his playing time um, is questionable because of how poorly he played last year, but he was so good in 20 that, you know, he's, he's displayed the skill of being an everyday starter. And even when he didn't play every day last year, he still stole bases. So I think that there um, is a a world in which Dylan Moore is a regular starter and uh, steals. He, he generally hits it in the air too much, but also, but does not have a good exit velocity, which is not a good combination to have. So with his speed, you know, maybe he would be better served to hit it on the ground a little more. Um, but, you know, I, I think he's an option and he's another one that's, you know, easily droppable if, if he comes down to it. Um, if you want to go real late, um, I think that, you know, Elvis Andrus, I mean, we're talking like draft champions here cause he's kind of gross, but um, he should at this point be playing every day. He still steals. And, you know, it, when it gets down to it, those, the late uh, shortstop options can be, can be rough. So, you know, I think in a really, really late situation, um, Elvis Andrus can be uh, a good choice. And a little bit higher up, um, Videl Brujan, um, I think, can be a good one. He is, you know, going at about 325, I think, in the last month. So he's another one that's going to be – we don't know yet exactly what his role is going to be, but if he gets the role – um, he's got a lot of speed. So he he could work if if the you know things fall the right way.
1: Jason, who are some of the names you got? Two names. One is VR, obviously. I've been sitting on it. Uh, you know, what I because I tweeted this out last week. You know, here is the full list of players who has who have had double-digit home runs and steals over the past five full seasons and their ADP over the last month. Trey Turner, two, Jose Ramirez, four. Mookie Betts 16, Marcus Simeon 43, Francisco Lindor 51, Javier Baez 63, Jonathan VR 266. Uh, the only thing holding him down right now, the only reason he's outside the 250, is because he's unemployed. He doesn't have a job yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's say let's say Texas was like, hey, we just lost Josh Young. We need a third baseman. Hey, VR, you can play third base. Why don't you come here? And oh, by the way, you can hit leadoff for us too. And Willie Calhoun back down the lineup. Uh, and all of a sudden, you got VR setting the table for a for a seeker for Simeon, you know, in that group, uh, and his value goes way up. So it's like right now, if you're drafting this week, you know, this is the last time you're going to get VR at, at this price. Because as soon as he gets a job, because of what he's done, you, again, th- those were numbers over the uh, seasons. But, you know, he had 40 steals in 2019 playing every day for Baltimore. He had 35 steals the season before that. He had 16 uh, in the shortened season, 14 last year for the Mets, who just didn't run as much. So, if he gets to an opportunity where the environment's right, where he's got the playing time and a manager that's going to let him run, there could be a lot of upside here. Uh, and so, his price. And then, you know, staying in Texas, because I know we burned so many folks last year, but Leote Tavares, you know, last year he was inside the top 200. He's now about 600 in ADP. But like he's down in winter ball right now, uh, in Aguilas in the Dominican Winter League. He's got more walks and strikeouts. He's 11 of 12 in stolen bases. So it's like if you're in a single league format, I I can't recommend taking him. He's in a fab league, leave him in fab, try to do that. But like if you're in a single league, if you're an AL only deeper league, I don't know how you don't take a shot in him in the reserves just with the speed. Because if something, if we were willing to take him where we were last year. You can't just, like, throw him away, but, like, forget it. One bad season, he was garbage. I'm not going to do anything because, you know, he was 13 of 18 in steals uh, in Paul's backyard, um, Round Rock, uh, for those. You know, he was right there, and then he was he was 10 of 11 at the Major League level and then 11 of 12 uh, in Winter League. So, it's like, he's still running. When he gets on base, he wants to run. Uh, and who knows what the playing time is going to be, but those are the two guys I would look at late. VR is not going to be there much longer. Uh, whereas, depending on the depth, really Tavares makes for a very interesting dart throw late.
2: This is the podcast that I think of when I think of Jonathan VR because I remember Paul and Justin, you know, hipping him up over the last few years, and now now he's Jason's guy.
0: Yeah, yeah. Some, somehow he's uh, not my guy anymore. It um, a but I- to
1: come around, No, but just when you look at what's out there, and, and this year, it's really just because of the speed. And when you, it just mm-hmm. always stuns me to see him still sitting out there that late because he doesn't have a job, but. Like people say, oh, when Nelson Cruz, when he signs, he's going to jump up. But why not VR uh, with with what he's done and the opportunity? You know, one of our listeners, Dustin you know, McComas, was like, what if What if the Rockies signed him? It's like he could go to like top 150. He could eclipse Miles Straw and <laughs> be like, all of a sudden, we're taking VR and we're going to let Straw be the the, the back end choice. So it'll be very mm-hmm. interesting to see where he ends up uh, in this because there's a, he could fill a, a, a few needs for some folks. Uh, on the roster, depending on where he lands, Oakland.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, well, not help Sanders. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just think I mean they're going after they trade uh, Chapman and Olsen, They're going to they're going to have need for VR type players that can just play every day. Somebody, uh, yeah, somebody's going to need so, to play. <laughs> it feels like he likes to just go to these crappy teams because he gets full time playing time. So, um, uh, rant. Uh, you guys mentioned a number of guys that I'm very interested in uh, a guy who used to be uh, my guy uh, in the industry that I hadn't talked about a lot or drafted at all this season. Um, Jorge Mateo in Baltimore. If there, if there yeah. could be a way for him to get into the lineup, especially if uh, guys like Austin Hayes continue to get injured, um, you know, and Rugged at a is rugged at door, So, you know, I think he has some passive playing time could be really interesting late. Uh, Michael Taylor, He's going outside of the top three hundred and ninety picks uh, currently. Um, uh, God, I, I, oh, Jaron Duran is a you know f- former top prospect that they beat last year and sucked. And every time that happens, guy, uh people in the uh, fantasy community just kind of bury him, uh, bury those guys. So he's a guy I think that uh, probably should be getting drafted higher than he is currently, going around pick three eighty five. Uh, Victor Robles. You know, I, I don't know what to make of Victor Robles. Shelley tweeted at me yesterday, make sure we don't take him in the tag team league. Cause he keeps ending up on all of my teams. And I said, no promises. I'll, I'll, I'll fall for that trick again, especially when he's going outside the top 350 picks. Um, so there's a, uh, oh, and of course I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Bradley Zimmer as my boy. Um, you know, uh, I, I said uh, a couple days ago, um, Uh, that uh, my, my bold prediction is he goes 1530 uh, this year. uh, So I have to pick him uh, and uh, Cole Tucker, Cole Tucker, another one of my boys going super, super late. So uh, that is going to wrap up that segment of our rundown. We've got a few Twitter questions that I just want to get to quickly. Uh, Somebody asked, who is the lowest ranked closer that Jenny feels confident drafting right now? and rolling into the start of the season as CL1. I think this was from Yancey Eaton, uh, meaning they have I'm answering
1: that guy's question.
0: <laughs>
1: he's everywhere. Yeah, it right? He,
0: he's texted a podcast
1: me... he doesn't listen to?
0: He's texted me during the podcast, um, <laughs> uh, meaning they will have the job now and likely remain closer even after the wave of transactions that will uh, happen once we finally get a CBA. So Jenny, since it's directed at you, I'll let you start.
2: Um, I'm pretty conservative, so I'm going to say there's only about eight guys that I feel comfortable with. You know, obviously Hendrix Hader, Hendricks, Hader, Iglesias, Classe, Diaz, Presley. I feel comfortable with Will Smith and Aroldis Chapman. That's probably my list. Um, I think Kenley Jansen is likely to close wherever he goes, but... Without knowing where that is, I'm not going to say that for sure. I mean, I don't think anybody thought that, you know, Craig Kimbrell would end up a, on, you know, the White Sox last year. But it happened, you know, like just because somebody's got a closer doesn't mean that they won't bring one in. So um, he's a, you know, he's an emergency option potentially. But I really only feel comfortable with eight of them, which is why I will spend an early pick on a closer. I feel comfortable doing it. I don't mind, you know, I'm I'm all about it.
0: I'm, I actually have the exact same top eight. Um, so, uh, and I think you can kind of say Jansen, Romano, Melanson are all quasi. I think Melanson's safer than the other two, but um, because yeah. I don't think Arizona will bring anybody else in to challenge him. But uh, I think Arizona could win like 40 games this year. So, <laughs> Jason, who, who's your last closer one you're willing to take a gamble on?
1: Uh, so I'm a little more aggressive. Uh, and for me, my closer one that I would be like, okay, great. It's Corey Canabel. Uh, he's going in the 10th round. Uh, Will Smith is my more realistic, like, Hey, that's where I am. But I've also said a few times that I I believe that Corey Canable is this year's and Iglesias. Whereas last year, Iglesias was kind of everybody's like, eh, that's kind of where my I, I lose my comfort. Uh, but you know, he was the you know, same, the, the, the only difference is Knable obviously has a higher injury history, but from a skills perspective, from the strikeouts, from the blocks, from the home runs, from manager that likes to use relievers consistently, it's like he has all those things in common with where, where, Gla- where Glacius was sitting last year. Uh, and so uh, I'm pretty certain my Knable share is at, at 100% because if he's there in the 10th round, I've grabbed him uh, every single time. Uh, even as a C2, I've, I've taken just because you, you have to have those saves – uh, I've he hasn't been my C1, but he absolutely, if, if the conditions were right and everything was full off the board,
2: I'd wait and take him as a C1. I'd be um, happy to have him as a C2 for sure.
0: Yeah, I think C2, I'm more comfortable. I, I, I don't think I could take him as a C1. Um, and honestly, he's not a guy I'm really targeting as a C2 either. I just, I'm afraid Philadelphia brings another arm in. Um, and that, that's my you know, I'm afraid they trade for Kim. Kimber- if I, here's the thing
1: like in TGFBI, as I'm doing the snake thing. If I want him, I'm going to have to take him at the top of the ninth. And here's a good example yeah. about where you pick. It's like, I don't want to take him at the top of the ninth. There's not a value there. If nope. he were still there at the top of the 11th, I will. But the fact that I've taken him in the 10th round in every other league, I know he's not going to make it out of the 10th round. So I'm not going to have him in TGFBI unless he makes it to 11-1. So there's my line in the sand, listeners. You know, if you don't take him in the 10th, I will take him 11-1. I don't care what I have <laughs> in my roster. I'll take him 11-1. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. Uh how does strategy change in a best ball draft versus standard Roto? Jenny. out yeah, of this, I don't play. Yeah. <laughs> J- J- Jason gets to be quiet for a second. and Jenny gets to school us a little bit. So go ahead.
2: So, yeah, I mean, this is a good chance for me to plug my Roto Baller article that's going to be coming out. Um, I don't know exactly what day yet since this is my first article. I don't know the process fully, but I've submitted it. It's there. So um, it should hopefully be out soon. Um, I'm not going to maybe give away everything that's in there, so people will hopefully read it. But um, I think the biggest place to start um, is to really realize the differences um, in the scoring. So this is points, and um, points is a lot different than Roto. You don't need um, steals. You don't need saves. You don't need to worry about balancing categories. You just need to worry about the total points that somebody will score And you need to make sure that you have covered all of your positions. So the thing that I do to start out is I just take a set of projections, my favorite set of projections, and um, export them into Excel and then just calculate the total points um, projected for each guy. Um, You can, you know, mess with playing time a little bit and that'll change things. But for the most part, um, I just calculate the points and you're going to end up, it's going to look a lot different than what uh, Roto's standings will look like. All of those guys. Um, will not be pushed up the way that they are in Roto. And, you know, the closers, like I did a, uh, a best ball auction last night and I didn't get a closer of any kind, uh, any relief pitcher at all uh, in the first 23 rounds. So you just don't need one. If, if the prices were right, you do it. If they're not, um, you don't need to worry about it. So, um, you know, I think that just calculating the points will show you a lot about the differences in value. Um, the other thing is you, you need to make sure that you get enough Players uh, qualified at each position. So when you um, when I don't know if it's NFBC that you're on or Fantrax, there's a big difference. Though Fantrax um, has a you the player is only qualified at one position at their primary mm-hmm. position, and that changes cool. a lot. Hmm. So um, I have experience on NFBC where you get their normal NFBC eligibility, um, and I try to make sure that I have at least four guys at every infield position and something around twelve outfielders. Because what you want, you want to have as much as you possibly can, as much depth as you can, because every week, different guys are going to be scoring the most points. It's not always the best guy that scores the most points. So you can have, you know, your third or fourth shortstop have a three steal week, or, you know, hit a couple home runs, and he's right there in your lineup. And you want to take advantage of that as much as possible. And one thing that I did put in that article was, um, hopefully it stays, is a uh, comparison of just making one change in a lineup from um, single eligibility to somebody with dual eligibility and how, you know, if there's, if they have scored a certain amount of points, how that can just restructure your entire starting lineup, you know, your middle infield might move to corner infield and that might change the utility guy that's put in and it can make, you know, a difference of, you know, eight, 10, 12 points every week. And if you add all that up, it can really make a big difference over the course of the season.
0: Absolutely. Um, I don't have much to add actually to that. Uh, the only thing I am going to reinforce is, um, I think it is really, really important to know your format, right? Know the points, whether you're playing on fan tracks or, um, whether you're playing on NFPC or whatever other site might be doing best balls, uh, make sure, you know, your format. And I highly recommend using draft software. Um, Because, you know, you can use ranks, but ranks are somewhat useless because, you know, this is a hard part about giving away um, or giving uh, analysis for points leagues is everybody's point system is different. And it's the reason why I know the majority of people who play fantasy baseball play in points leagues, but the majority of the analysis is for Roto, and that's because Roto is a consistent format across all the platforms, whereas uh, points leagues, best ball leagues are not consistent. So what I highly recommend is RotoLab, RotoWire, one of those draft softwares. If you don't want to pony up the money for for those, I think they're well worth the money. Um, but I understand if you've got one dollars league, you may not want to pay $40 for draft software. Um, then go over to the Fangraphs auction calculator, pick your... Uh, projection system of choice, put all the point categories in and run it, and then kind of move guys up and down based on your preference. You know, if, I'm just going to say random players here, if Chris Bassett is, uh, you prefer Chris Bassett over Framber Valdez, um, but Valdez is, you know, a few spots higher in the ranks, you just move Bassett up, right? Um, but I think it's, it's really important to have, the computer do the math for you to the best of your ability. um, And then you play with it from there.
2: The other thing that you can do, um, one really nice feature that NFPC has is um, it allows you to import custom rankings. Mm -hmm. So you can um, export their default rankings you know, rearrange them however you want and then re-import them with your custom name and set your, um, it will set up your draft room to show your rankings rather than the default rankings, which are, um, I don't know if they're still set off of last year or they're set off of roto. They're not super useful in a uh, best ball league. So I like to import my custom rankings. So, you know, especially in a slow draft and, you know, worst case scenario, you get auto picked or something, it's going to take the best guy um, off of your list, or it's just, you know, a lot easier to look at the draft room that way.
0: One of these days, I've actually got to do that. I it's it's. So, I did it. Yeah, I have like
2: four different um, custom rankings imported mm-hmm. this year, and it's been really nice.
0: Yeah, I, I've got. I'm going to do that before we uh, before I head to Vegas. So that's that's going to happen probably this week at some point. So, uh, last question is: What's the deal with Adam Engel? Power, speed, and the glove should keep him playing in in elite lineup. ADP feels disproportionately high. So is it just a health thing or, uh, or sleeper or bust? Um, uh, Jason, I'm going to let you take this, um, but I think this is the problem is when you look at a stat line and you start projecting it to carry through to full plate appearances. Go yeah,
1: ahead. I mean, here's the, 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 the weirdness of Adam, and this is it's where maybe it's where it is because Adam Engel is like lightning fast. Uh, he is very fast. Yeah, he's Tyler Wade uh, fast, but the problem is, you know, he and Tyler Wade about have about the same offensive potential. Uh, and I say this in all seriousness, it's weird with, with Engel because you may look at him and say, like, oh, hey, you know, he's he could be a short-side platoon guy, but the weirdness of it all is he hits righties better than lefties, and it's not like a one-year sample size thing. Like, he legitimately hits righties better. Uh, but at, in that lineup, he's going to be hitting ninth uh, as well, so he would be down in that lineup. uh yeah, you know, yeah, the athleticism uh, in a year where speed is is precious, I get it, but there's a reason why he doesn't play every day. Uh and and we're talking about we're not talking about a kid, we're talking about a guy who's 30 this year. He's had his opportunities on bad Chicago teams, and he has not you know, but one year played a decent amount of time. And we saw what happened in that one year. Go back and look at 16. Very few walks, lots of strikeouts, low OBP. He got 16 steals because he was out there enough for a very bad team. Uh, White Sox will be very good this year. They should be. Adam Engel should not be in that lineup more often. Now, if he's somebody, let's say they make a deal and they trade him to Oakland and get something. like In, a, in the right situation, Adam Engel could play a lot and repeat 2016 and potentially become a bargain where he's being taken. But on this roster, the way it's put together, he, he not not much going to happen here. He's going to be strategically used as a day off, as a defensive replacement, as a pinch runner type of thing, uh, as La Russa is, likes to do. But as a as a mostly everyday player, I don't see it.
0: What about you, Jenny? Do you see it?
2: Um, probably not. I mean, he seems to me like a perfect um, watch list guy. You know, let him let him go during draft season. Maybe you know a late um, draft champion's time to pick. But otherwise, let him go. See how what how much he's playing. See what's happening, and probably for the majority of you know the fantasy community, it'll be week two, three, and four where they'll say, "Oh, well, look at the look at what Adam Engel's doing." But if you can get him in weeks, you know, a week early at that point, maybe you'll stumble into something. Um, but yeah, he also had shoulder surgery in the off season, um, and shoulder surgery makes me nervous. Oh, I missed
1: that news really. <laughs>
2: so that's what I read this morning. Hopefully, I'm okay. right about that.
0: Wow, I missed um, that. He did. Yeah. So
2: I don't, I don't love that part of it. So I'll keep an eye on him, but I'm not going to draft him.
0: His shoulder surgery, I believe, was a scope, so it's not like a, a full on surgery. Okay. It's more yeah. just kind of clearing out loose bodies. um My my issue is he he does not have power. Like this is um, he he makes a decent amount of contact, but he also swings and misses uh quite a bit but yeah the, the, I think people are looking at like the seven home runs and I think 100 and 140 plate appearances and they're like ooh if he can get to 500 plate appearances this is a 2020 20 or a 25 25 guy he is not um I think he could steal 20 bases and so I think he works out kind of perfectly for this discussion uh that we're having today uh if he gets enough playing time he he could definitely steal 20 25 bases but Uh, He's probably a single-digit home run guy. His defense is the only reason why he keeps getting opportunities at the age of 30. Uh, The problem is they've already got a crowded team, and there's talk that they could bring in other people, including there was a rumor, I think, yesterday that they're interested in Chris Bryant, uh, who would clog up that outfield a little bit more, too. So uh, I think that it seems unlikely he's anything more than a reserve guy. Once the season gets going, if we start getting towards the season and all the other big free agents are gone and stuff, and you know, the white Sox have made their trades because remember they, they're still, I think going to trade Kimbrell. What are they going to get back? Are they going to get an outfielder back? Are they going to get a second baseman back? And then Leroy Garcia goes into the outfield. So I think there's a lot of ways he can lose his job. I'm more looking for guys uh, who there's a lot of ways they can get a job or playing time, not a guy who I'm worried he's going to lose it all the time. So uh, that is going to do it for this episode. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me. This is exciting. This is a podcast I've listened to for so many years. So um, it's a little bit surreal to be on it, but I'm happy to be asked.
0: Well, you were an absolute pleasure to have on. Uh, Can you remind everybody where you reach on social media and then again, plug your work.
2: Yeah. So on Twitter uh, is the best place to reach me. I'm at Jenny Butler, eight three zero. And uh, I've written for the FTN 5-Tool Fantasy Draft Guide, which is a great publication. There's a lot of other great stuff in it besides, you know, my own. Um, but then uh, this year, hopefully you will see me on both Rotoballer and Fantrax.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Let me know when that first article drops and uh, I'll throw it into uh, the link into the show notes uh, and, awesome. and, and I will. retweet it out. Uh, Jason, what are you working on? Where can you reached? So working on an article about, uh, chasing wins. Now that we've talked about
1: chasing steals, looking at wins, uh, you know, last year, the last few years, I went on a bit of a tweet storm this morning talking about it, how, you know, starting pitchers have have earned 18% fewer wins just over the last four years. Uh, so looking at conditions on wins, things like, um, run support while the pitcher's in the game, uh, looking at relief, trying to try to find some stuff with wins. So a lot of data around that particular thing. Uh, So that article will be out sometime this week, probably Wednesday Uh, would be remiss. If I forgot to congratulate uh, Nick and Alex uh, on winning the FSWA podcast, fantasy baseball podcast of the year. Uh, And then the three hall of famers that I know listen to this show uh, and, and Steve Gardner and Scott Pianowski and Dave Gano's. Uh, so, you know, particularly the latter two, cause those are the first one, of the, two of the first people I met in this industry when I started playing at a national level, uh, or, or Dave, cause he's a, uh, Rays fan like me. Um, and then Scott Pianowski was the person I sat next to. I was, I was lucky enough to sit between Corey Schwartz and Scott Pianowski, in my first tap wars draft, uh, and two of the best people ever. So it's, you know, congrats to those guys, uh, on making the hall of fame and, uh, pretty cool for them. That's yeah.
0: it. Uh, Let's see. You can reach me on Twitter at Justin Mason, FWFB, uh, writing daily over at Fangraphs on this podcast, the TGFBI podcast, and the Friends Fantasy Benefits podcast. TGFBI starts tomorrow. It's going to be exciting. I uh, can't wait. Uh, hopefully, people don't yell at each other for taking too long to pick. Um, but with Four that, hours, baby. One-one. Mm-hmm.
1: Somebody's <laughs> going to come reach out to me be like, no, nah, I've already got it auto-set. I'm not, that, I'm not that much of a prick. So.
0: <laughs> there will be someone, though. There always is. Uh, so with that, uh, for Jenny, Jason, and myself, thank you for listening. Have a fantastic baseball season.